0: Hi there, my name is Jonathan. I'm the host here at The Venue RX, and our mission is to document and share the best practices for building, owning, operating, and managing world-class wedding venues. Our company, Common Sense Events, is a venue management company that consults, manages, and operates venues all over the US. I'm here to share the mindset and methods that have worked for us in the past and are working for us now as we continue to build our venue management company. Thank you so much for listening. Please consider subscribing and sharing this, and let's get to the show. What's up, everyone? Welcome to the Venue RX podcast. On this show, we are passionate about documenting and sharing best practices around owning, operating, and managing world class wedding venues. And we have so many different types of shows on this channel, but by far, one of my favorites has been the venue owner series. This has been such a fun opportunity to talk to venue owners, uh, hear the ins and outs of what their days look like, what the years have looked like in running the properties. We've talked to people who are just starting their properties who are you know 10 years in business, and it's really fun to kind of hear these stories, how they got started, what things they're currently working on, uh, what they do better than anyone else, and maybe even some things that they're struggling with. So today I am so excited to talk to Leah Faddis. Thank you so much for being here today.
1: Of course, I'm happy to be here.
0: I am excited about this interview. we kind of ping, ping-ponged back and forth a little bit on getting this scheduled. And I know you are in quite a whirlwind of adventure and change. And, I mean, you, like, turned your life upside down and you moved to Texas pretty recently. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah. Okay. okay. I, I don't know. I, I know more of the story, right, than, than probably most of our listeners and viewers right now. So I want you to just take us, give me, like... The last couple of years, uh, what you did prior to owning a venue right now, and you know how you got started in this industry altogether.
1: Okay, perfect. So I moved from California, which I know we discussed before that that's kind of a sensitive subject here in Texas.
0: Oh, we'll get into it. <laughs>
1: <laughs> but moved from California, um, started my wedding photography business there 17 years ago and um, grew it and grew it over the years. And we have about 35 photographers and videographers that work still in California. Um, So when COVID hit, that kind of changed the game for us. We used to have offices there, we did in-person consultations, everything was there. And then the second COVID hit, we went online and we were forced to figure out a really great way to do consultations with our clients. We figured out a system that actually worked better for our clients than having to drive all the way to our offices and they were loving it. And we just decided, you know, we're not, we're never going back. We're doing this online. And then after that, it kind of became this thing where my husband's always wanted to move. And he was like, we could move now because everything is online for you and you don't really shoot anymore. All the shooters do everything. And so we just... Picked up, moved to Texas, and then once we got here, my husband didn't want to teach anymore because the pay is super low in Texas. He was a high school teacher, and I just missed, even though I was still managing my other company, I just missed the day-to-day activity of working, honestly, and... Um, He was like, let's look into getting a wedding venue. And it was last February. And um, we just found this property the the owner was selling it um, kind of behind the scenes. It wasn't on It wasn't a listing that was active. And the second I saw it, I was like, this is it. Like, I love the Mediterranean style of venues. And I was like, this is it. And so last February, we went into escrow the day after we saw it. And, uh, but it was a nine month process. So the SBA put us through a lot of hell. (laughs) So we had to jump through a lot of hoops and we didn't close escrow till about um, mid November, but the owners had checked out and so they um, had given us over pretty much running the business we were doing their consultations and all of that. So we had our hands in it, but we didn't. Ha- we couldn't do anything to the property. We couldn't do any upgrades yet because we didn't own it. And so we have been kind of in the industry or in the business since last um, probably March, but we didn't actually get the property till about a month ago.
0: Wow, that's amazing. I have. I was. I wanted to just let you go through your whole story, but I have so many questions about. Well, first, like growing your business, that's no small feat. You know what you're doing now with the existing business that you run in California, and then kind of taking this big leap and you're in the same industry, but it's definitely a pivot, right? Uh,
1: Yes, yes, Uh, more of a pivot than I thought it was going to be, to be honest.
0: I want to ask you about that, but before we we jump into that, your venue is called uh, Tuscan Oaks Estate. And where is it located?
1: It's in Weatherford, Texas, which is like about 45 minutes away from um, Fort Worth. Mm -hmm. And it's actually a 10 bedroom estate. So it used to be a day spa. And then they had a full blown gym in the back that was is now the ballroom, and so it was run as a day spa for many years. And then somebody purchased it to run it as a wedding venue about six months before COVID, and so really bad timing. And they just kind of never caught up from that, and also just realized that it wasn't for them. And so we came in at the perfect time; it had already been established. But um, yeah, it used to be a it used to be a day spa right here in the heart of Weatherford. It's a beautiful area.
0: It, it really is so i'm some of the people listening may know i'm actually born and raised in fort worth so i'm okay. super familiar with weatherford and when we first connected i was like that is so cool like that's you know it was in our backyard we had friends who lived in weatherford so that's that's awesome okay so before we jump into the the business i want to ask you a couple questions about the the creative studio you had how did you scale that initially like were there some unlocks for you because so many businesses, so many business owners in our industry specifically stay really small. And whether that's by design or by accident, uh, I think, you know, there's a lot of allure and a lot of excitement around a company like yours that grows to, you know, being able to have employees and serve multiple, uh, multiple guests. How many clients did you serve at maybe a peak year?
1: Um, on average, we do about 500 weddings a year. Wow. Um, Yeah. So, but that was a very slow process to get to that point. It didn't just happen overnight. And it wasn't even something that I wanted overnight. It was just an organic thing that happened. Um, Just a little backstory. When I started as a photographer, I actually just taught myself how to be a photographer after off of watching YouTube videos. Okay. No joke. Good place, to, <laughs> so, good
0: place to start though
1: and a a craigslist ad for $500 so my first year i shot 40 weddings off of a $500 craigslist ad and then about 2 years into it i actually have an uncle that was a big businessman and i was at christmas and he was like oh that's great you're a photographer now you have to train other people to do what you do and i was like no i mean it's my it's me they're hiring and i could never train people to do what i do because i'm so good at it but it really just planted a seed. So even though he said that and I was like, no, there's no way I could do that. It just planted a seed. And I thought about that often. And then um, I was offered a kind of an all-inclusive contract from Villa de Amore, which is a really big wedding venue in Temecula. I'm sure you know about that place. So that was 11 years ago, they offered me the all-inclusive contract where I would be their in-house photographer. But kind of the caveat to that was that I obviously had to be willing to scale my business to bring on Other photographers, and so I kind of took that as a sign, and um, brought on another photographer, and then another one, and then I got other all-inclusive contracts at other venues, and then it kind of became a thing in Temecula, which I'm sure you are aware of, having everything in house with photographers, the you know the florist, the everything, and so once that became a thing, our company became known as the all-inclusive company that works that has really great team members that produce a good quality product and and so they knew that they could trust us to be able to run that side of their venue and so we just progressively gained more and more contracts and so we have I think right about now we have about 15 venues where we are there all inclusive and then we just have photographers that we send out photographers and videographers that we send out to those venues and so it was a slow process and then at each stage though we had to grow and hire a new person whether it's a new admin new social media person new just all of these people we had to bring on as we went as we went along and so it was definitely a slow process and we had to master it before we went to the next level but we yeah. I feel like we're in a really good place right now
0: That is that's so cool and that's so inspiring I have a question though I know it's difficult as it is to scale A business from the admin side you know all of a sudden there's HR needs there's other admin needs um, you know taxes everything else that comes with running a business but for the creatives themselves how do you go about scaling such a creative business where someone's eye and someone's shooting style and the lighting they use and maybe even the camera they use how are you able to filter through those people to get a consistent quality product on that end of things
1: well, that's a great question. So we, there was definitely trial and error along the way, but we hire people that for the most part already shoot according to our style, you know, that have that, because we do kind of more of a natural type, a lot of movement in our pictures, kind of that candid, fun, laughing. So we're not gonna approach a photographer to see if they'll work for us. If they have more of that moody kind of serious look, Like we just don't even approach them. Um, we do all of our editing in house. So we're able to control, you'd be amazed what you can do with editing. I could have, you know, 10 different photographers shoot the shoot completely different weddings, different lighting scenarios, different couples, and then make it look like it was all shot by the exact same person, just from having the same editor on the back end. And so um, we just along the way figured out kind of little tweaks as well, On what we tell them like okay try to avoid these types of situations to keep it on brand but um, but yeah we figured it out
0: amazing okay so last question on this but because I really am very fascinated with kind of the the, the backstory here and then I promise we'll get to the venue Um, I know from personal experience that as you grow and as you scale you know you have to kind of release more and more and more control and you have to delegate more and I know that's been a struggle for me at different points Did you feel like that was a struggle for you as you grew that business? And if so, how did you handle that?
1: Yes. So the good thing is, is I'm actually not very type A when it comes to, I'm kind of more of a, I like to handle a lot of things and I'm a B plus worker. I don't know if that makes sense, but I've realized along the way that you can't grow anything if everything has to be A plus because, and and it sounds awful saying this, but There's a lot of things that don't have to be done absolutely perfect all the time. You'll, for one, micromanage the crap out of your employees and they'll be frustrated. And then also you just won't get anywhere because you'll just constantly be trying to make everything perfect. And I've just realized, especially in this industry, is that, you know, progress is more progress is better than just like being stuck and stopping, you know, even if it's small amounts. And so, We've just realized it that bringing people on, we, I might be able to do it better than that person, but it's way better to have them do it. And for me to be able to focus on something else, it's more important than for me to like, hold on to that just because I feel like I can do it better. And so I, I delegate everything in my life, you know, when it comes to the business, the second that we master it and we know how to teach it, We're hiring somebody else that can do it. And then we just tell them like, okay, you're going to work on this. But the second that it grows to to where it's too much for you, we give them the permission to then train somebody else. We'll be like, you tell us when this admin job that you have is too much for you. We'll bring someone on for you. And then you train them to do the stuff you don't want to do. So we've kind of empowered them to they've got multiple people underneath them so like we have an admin team we have one head admin person that manages four admin people underneath her underneath them and they have their sections where one one manages the editing team and then one at manages social media and so we've just given them the permission to do everything on their own and we've also given them permission to make mistakes because think that's a lot of times what people are afraid of once they're inside of a company like ours is they they don't want to make decisions and make mistakes and I just tell them you know go go with your gut and you make the call and I'll back whatever your decision is and if it turns out that maybe it wasn't the best decision like we'll learn from it and we'll move on like that's that's so that's primarily how I run it (laughs) that's a
0: game-changing mindset shift I mean and I think specifically in our industry because how creative and you know, how much we all are fire starters, I think. I think mm-hmm. the, the large majority of people who start businesses in this industry, I think it's very difficult to, to release some of that control and kind of the perfection and the striving for excellence and some of that, I know that's slowed us down in our business and like, you'll get there, you'll get to the excellence if you continue revising and refining the process, but you have to let the process happen and the delegation okay. you're talking about is, is incredible. That's so cool. Okay, well, I have more questions on that, but we're going to have to bring you back on the podcast because I, we, we have to talk about the venue, right? We have to we have yeah. to dive into this. So, um, so talk to me. You mentioned SBA in the very beginning. How did you, can you talk to me through the funding process of how you bought your venue?
1: So when we were initially negotiating the, going into escrow with the current owner, he was like, you got to go through SBA. I got a really great guy that's at a bank up here. Go through the SBA process. It's really great. In hindsight, I wish we would never have gone through the SBA because SBA is only about twenty percent of our loan, anyways. Like we've got a private loan that we took out ourselves. We should have just from the get go done a private loan, and I can almost guarantee you the bank probably would have still give, given it to us. And so we're just we, we just got stuck. Um, we just went off of his um, his. Referral, and then nine months later, we were still jumping through hoops, and so, and plus the rates were going up like significantly as we're sitting and waiting. And we're just like what were we thinking? So I, in hindsight, I wish that we would have just gone gone private.
0: Okay, that's interesting because I've heard other venue owners who have gone through the SBA process, and they have said it's lengthy, and there's more you know processes and paperwork and things like that that you have to fill out. But it really sounds like you know you're you're a perfect case that the SBA may not be the best way to fund the loan is is that what i'm hearing
1: yes yes i 100 agree with that but then also and i didn't mention this we kind of got stuck in the permitting process at the very end the person who was managing our entire loan about two months or about a month before we were supposed to close sudden suddenly like mentioned something about like conditional use permit and we were told that you did not need any permits to have weddings here because this is a this is a commercial property and um, commercially zoned property. And so um, we just assumed and all of a sudden he's like, oh no, we need a conditional use permit. And so we went to the city planning office and they're like, oh, you missed the deadline last week. Um, it's not going to go to a vote for a month and a half. And so we were like, okay. And that was in October. So that pushed us back another you know, month and a half. So it was that added to it. But we got the conditional use permit, hallelujah, and and we're good to go.
0: So I want to dive into the conditional use permit and permitting and zoning in general, because that's something actually we're going to start focusing a lot more on the podcast. As you know, in Temecula, you know, there's all sorts of drama, uh, for lack of a better word, around unpermitted properties uh, or properties that are in agricultural, you know, areas that are not necessarily zoned for an events. And there's not really an event license per se, or like a conditional permit that they can receive, but still they're outside, operating outside of the bounds of, of you know, county permission. And so you know, this has caused, caused quite a bit of uh, struggle for couples and, and venue owners alike. We'll get into that in just a second. I want to go back though. So you found the property. How did you find the property? Because you said it wasn't really listed or it wasn't really like actively in, in um, you know, marketed.
1: Yeah, so I had met a real estate agent at a networking event. And I just texted her the next day. And I said, Hey, if you ever see any property, we're thinking of, you know, building a wedding venue. And um, she just messaged me right back. And she's like, well, I I actually just saw one. Um, My colleague has it listed, um, or privately listed. She's like, you guys should check it out. And so she sent me the link. And that was how we found it
0: wow okay that's that's really cool i think there are a lot of people listening to this who who may already be in the wedding and events industry uh, but just like you maybe they're looking to move or they're looking to you know change industries or they're looking to start a venue because i know that's the dream of a lot of folks in our industry and so the finding the venue process is is definitely interesting to me let's talk about zoning and permitting for a second when you move to texas admittedly california policies and texas policies probably are you know pretty substantially different there's a lot more that maybe would be lenient or you know less red tape or something like that and I think maybe that's the general perception but what was your experience like dealing with the county or, or the city maybe uh, in getting that permitting?
1: It was fairly easy once we actually were able to get on a schedule because you have to get on the schedule to be able to go to the city meeting. The people behind the scenes were great at putting together a packet for us that pretty much promoted our cause to the city for them to approve it. Um, But we already, since it was a, a business beforehand, had everything in order. We've got parking for 70 cars, like cemented parking, which is huge. They don't allow, you know, DG parking or um, grass parking or anything like that here. So we had all that. Everything is um, handicap accessible. Um, you've got all of our, the fire lanes. Like we got all, we had everything so that it was super easy once they came in to approve us. Um, but it was just getting on the schedule. And then we had to go sit through some of the city meetings where they vote, which was nerve wracking because they denied several people. And so we're sitting there like, oh my gosh, are they gonna deny us? And it was, but it was, it was kind of a fun process, but we made it through.
0: Okay, when when you're in the permitting process or you're in kind of the midst of that, is it pretty typical to, like, did you do a lot of research prior to that to understand the permitting process or did you start purchasing the property and then kind of post being an escrow, say, oh, okay, we're gonna need that. and Or is this something that, you know, you did after you purchased the property?
1: Yeah, so, There's two things. We made the mistake of kind of going off of what the owner told us. And he was just flying under the radar and like, oh, well, just let's fingers crossed. We don't get closed down, which is a horrible way to go about running the business. So we kind of he told us, oh, Texas doesn't require permits like you're fine. It's zoned commercial. And so we kind of trusted him. And really what prompted us was like you were saying with the Temecula situation. I know several people out there that own venues that are Being shut down. And some of our all inclusive venues that we were contracted with are being shut down. And so we were, that kind of was on the radar because all that was happening this summer. And I was like, oh. And so that's, I also was asking questions behind the scenes. And then that's, that actually is kind of what tipped our um, loan person to actually require it It was because of the fact I was asking so many questions because I was like, listen, I have to make sure before I drop $2 million that you, that this is not going to get shut down in three months. Like, how can you confirm this for me? And then that's when he started doing research. And then that's when he realized like, Oh no, like you're zoned for pretty much everything, but weddings. <laughs> and so we had to, we had to go down that road, but
0: Do that. I'm I'm glad you brought up the, the cost. Was it kind of $2 million all in at the end of the day. I mean, obviously you're doing renovations and things like that, but was that kind of the rough purchase price?
1: Yeah. we So we actually had a smoking deal on this place. We, we It was $2.1 million, but we essentially paid for just the land value and the house. I mean, just, just like the value of the, the house um, because we're on 13 acres and then the house itself is 6,000 square feet with 10 bedrooms. And then we've got the whole entire ballroom. So on paper, like if you went to Zillow, the value of just the house is that we didn't, so we didn't pay anything for the business, which is awesome because we acquired 20 weddings plus the real estate of them running it for a couple of years. They had all of the, you know, Google and all of that real estate already there. So when we changed the name, it, we still have, we rank really high still on Google and, and also the not and things like that. And so we, we didn't pay for the venue essentially, or the, the business part of it
0: business. I've gotten so many different questions about that from people who just have messaged me through the different channels saying, Hey, like, do you know of any wedding venues for sale? And then the question commonly is like, how do you value the cost of the land or the cost of the buildings on the property? And then like the value of the business itself, because they're often hard to split. So that sounds, um, like a pretty cool scenario for you to be in. I'm curious about the 20 weddings. So when you came in, these 20 weddings were already booked I assume deposits were paid. Uh, How did you go about dealing with some of those relationships that had already been built by the previous owner and now you have to take them over?
1: Yes, so we, uh, we accumulated all the deposits. And then the good thing is for us is that the experience the couples had before was not that great because the the owners had checked out. They had checked out, they were done, had wanted nothing to do with it. They were, they had let the property itself go. So the second that we brought, got it on, or we, we came on board, the couples were just so relieved that they had now an owner that was like fully invested and it was doing all kinds of changes that was coming in. Like I have so many couples that come and they're like, oh my gosh, thank you so much, like for doing all this stuff. And the house itself was, the walls were dark chocolate brown and the ceilings and it was so, so dated. And we just came in, painted the entire thing white, brightened everything up, made, it, made a massive bridal suite that we're actually in right now.
0: I was gonna say your background is beautiful. <laughs>
1: And, um, and so they are just so happy that all of this stuff is being done that, I mean, it was, it was a, it was a nice change for them. And so it was a relief for us because it was an easy transition.
0: That's, that's huge. I, I know, I think both on the zoning side and then on, on taking over an existing business, I can imagine there is a possibility for so much friction because you don't really know the reputation that was there before the connections that have been made, the bridges that maybe have been burnt, right? (laughs) And so you have to, have you, go ahead.
1: I was just going to say, and another thing that we realized really quick is whenever there's a a change of ownership, I feel like clients sometimes take advantage of that because it's a lot of like, well, the other owners said. And so the way that we've just approached it is that we just give them whatever they want at this point. It's already been like a, a tough transition. No one wants to have an ownership change in the middle of their wedding planning process. And so we just go above and beyond to where if they're just like, well, she said we could have the chargers. I'm like, have the chargers. You can have the chargers. Like, what what else do you need? Like, I just want to make sure that at the end of the day, you have a good experience. And so that's kind of been our approach. But we have noticed that that has happened a majority of the time towards like, well, can I have this now that it's included in your new package? Sure. Yes, you can. (laughs)
0: And if you're a venue listening right now or watching on YouTube who doesn't necessarily have things written down, that is also very impactful if you have a venue manager change or a sales manager change. I know we've experienced that several times where we've had a sales manager who was saying one thing to the couples or promising one thing on the tours. And then you know when it comes to actually fulfilling it, six months, three months out, they're saying, oh no, well, so-and-so said that we were going to be able to have early access. And it's like, where is that? And so, yeah. just learn from learn from my mistakes. Write things down. Make sure stuff is in a CRM. Take the notes.
1: Yeah. Oh, and on that note, we had not, nothing. was digital when we got this property. Everything was on paper contracts, and nothing was signed. No, no signed contracts. Oh no. And, and the all the everything was on like a paper calendar. And so, and she literally screenshot a sticky note with what people had paid and what they hadn't paid and texted it to me. And I was like, okay, okay, let's see if we can make sense of all this. So it's been a wild ride for sure.
0: I love that you're technologically updating everything though, because yes. we started managing a property actually uh, here locally in San Diego, and they had the similar thing. They had a binder. So- I will give the owner, there was a binder, and the binder was like color-coordinated, oh, but yeah. it lived in the binder. So like if that binder, and that binder got lost once or twice, and it was like, who has the binder? Because the binder was like the source of truth, you know? And if you yeah, didn't have yeah. the binder, I mean, the checks were in there. It was pretty insane. So I was like, no, 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 no. Like <laughs> everything, we got we to gotta update everything. Okay, so you get into this. Were there just kind of right off the cuff some maybe misconceptions that you had or some things that that surprised you about venue ownership, maybe things that you felt like you had that were a shoe-in because you had previously operated a business in the, in the events industry?
1: Yeah, I mean, I definitely overestimated what I was bringing to the table, for sure. I thought, oh, I've been in the industry for 17 years. I've worked with venues. I've got this. And it wasn't until... We actually got ownership. That it hit me like a ton of bricks, and I, I I would have like daily panic attacks, honestly, because I felt so overwhelmed with what need what went into just owning a venue, and I knew that I had to master it myself before I hired it out. So I couldn't just hire a bunch of people and just say figure it out for me. Like I knew I had to figure it out myself. I had panic attacks, but like I've told like I told you on the phone before your podcast single-handedly is what got me through. It was like my therapy sessions, like, and I'm not joking. (laughs) (laughs) I I would sit, I'd get ready in the morning and I would just be listening to the podcast. And it was almost like I had somebody, I don't know why I'm totally tearing up because this is how emotional owning a venue was for me. Like I was like, I was an emotional wreck. I was like, what have I gotten myself into And I would just sit and listen to the podcast and like, I would hear other venue owners talk about their experiences, the things that they were struggling with. And I was like, okay, I get it. I get, I understand that. Okay. I'm going to get through and I would listen to them talk about this is what I did that didn't work. And, um, and kind of their failures too, to where I I was able to like resonate with that. Like, okay, I'm going to be fine. Even if we make a mistake here, we're going to be good. And it it just really honestly helped me in so many, like, I honestly don't know what I would have done without your podcast. I probably, I, I would have lost my mind, honestly, but I'm so happy. I'm so happy to hear that. I'm so happy to hear that.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. And you're, and you're a part of that now, like you're sharing your story and, and this whole process. And that's, that's huge for me in 2020, when we really pivoted the business away from doing staffing, cause that was our background. Um, and we really started focusing more on venue management. I looked for resources myself. Cause I was like, I have to learn everything, just like you. I mean, we didn't own it at that point, but we were in charge of one at that point, two venues that were just kind of thrown into our lap. And it was like, can you do this? Oh, and by the way, there's a pandemic and oh, by the way, and like, and yeah, it's stressful because you're like, where, where's the, is there a manual? Is there a, and everything's different. So yeah, your um, your contribution to this is like what makes it so special because others get to hear this as well, just like you were sharing. And and I love that. So thank you. Um, let's talk about marketing. So. When you first came in, there was an existing brand you mentioned, maybe a a different name even, you said?
1: It was a different name, yes.
0: How did you settle on Tuscan Oaks and how did you start the rebrand process? What did you do first, second, third?
1: So that, that nine months that we had before we actually took over it was great because I was able to work with a, my designer. We were able to start the brand. We came up with Tuscan Oaks only because it, the house is very Mediterranean looking and um, I love Italy. And I just, I was like, okay, let's go with Tuscan. So I feel like it's a very Tuscan vibe. And there's about 100 mature oak trees on the property so I was like Tuscan Oaks and then obviously it's an estate so there we go so there was about a hundred names that we had that we went through and that's the one we settled on
0: that's that's so cool did you get any pushback or any uh whether was there any difficulty in changing any of the names because I know you mentioned there was already a presence on google and maps and things like that was there any struggles in the process of changing things over
1: Um, I had to figure that out, but it was kind of a learning curve, but I went but on the back end. I was able to transfer the website. Um, I was able to go on to Google and kind of change the names. Every once in a while, it pops up still. Some people still get it as the Hamptons of Weatherford, which is what it was. And then... um, and for some reason it's sending people to my my personal phone right now. I think there's one Google uh, like some listing out there that has my personal phone number. So every once in a while I'll get like a random person that calls me and I'm like, where's this coming from? But uh,
0: yeah, like what what are you are is this for the other business? Is this for yeah? Yeah. That's that's happened to us. There's like that one active Yelp link that's just firing yeah. somehow. And how did you get my number? Yeah. So cool. So the marketing, what strategies are you now pursuing? Are there any things that you're doing differently, uh, that you didn't use to market your, your previous business that you're using now or things that maybe you aren't using that you were using before?
1: So the one thing that we figured out with, um, Liam Ray photography back in Temecula is that Every person that's wanting to hire a vendor, it takes like, I think it's what seven to eight touch points or places where they see somebody before they could, they feel like they can trust the brand. So I'm all about being in multiple places. So we do the not in wedding wire only because it's just one of many places that we want these clients to see us. Um, I am a, big believer in Instagram and people like having a uh, like a personal connection with the people that are on Instagram. And so we utilize that a lot back in Temecula, where I have my shooters do Instagram stories, um, behind the scenes videos. And I, they hate doing them, but I'm like, they, people want to see you on the camera. They want to see you talking. They want to see what you dress, like what you wear when you go to a wedding. Like they want to see, they want to see funny things. They want to see all that, especially this generation. And so that is one thing that we're really hitting hard here is just putting our face on the camera, talking about the construction we're doing, um, especially here in a small town. we I noticed that word of mouth is huge in a small town, and so I post on Facebook a lot, and um, I'm in all the chat groups, and I just say I ask for people to tell people their friends about us, you know. So I'll just ask people, and they do. It's amazing the people that share, and that will put us out there, and um, it's been really cool. But I, I we get the most feedback from actively putting our face on the camera. It's amazing, and it's free. So it's like I don't know why more people don't do it, but
0: what platforms specifically are you utilizing? I know you mentioned uh, The Knot and Wedding Wire and Instagram, are you on TikTok? Are you on other places as well?
1: Yeah, so I just got a TikTok account. Um, And what I do is I repost all my reels on there. I'm not like making specific TikToks, but um, I do have a social media manager that helps make reels. Um, I every once in a while will do my own reel. If I'm at a wedding, I'll kind of put together a highlight of the entire day and then put it on TikTok. Um, but then we do Instagram. I am on Facebook a little bit, primarily for the groups. And then um, we are starting to run Facebook ads. And so we will do that as well. but um, but primarily just the knot and wedding wire and then just making sure that we're active on Instagram a lot. So when people do go there and they just pop on to Instagram real quick, I want them to be able to see us on there or see something. And so.
0: That makes so much sense. I love that you are, are taking the time to put your face on there, your team's faces. It's huge because people do connect with other people and they like seeing all the pretty imagery, but you know, you can find pretty imagery on a lot of different generic accounts and the faces are what make things very unique and very specific to your, your property. Um, we talked a little bit about paid ads. Okay, so talk with me about the team that you currently have at the property. And I wanna go into kind of how you're allocating your time. Here you are, you said November, so we're what? Two months, three months from that time period. What are you spending the most of your time uh, on on a daily basis?
1: So right now, construction. We are just nonstop doing projects around here. We're redoing all the bathrooms. We're adding six new stalls, which is going to be great. Um, all kinds of landscaping on the outside. We're adding walls inside the house. Um, so just a lot, a lot of construction. We are currently going to be. We're going to be hiring a venue manager, and then um, a lot of staffing for the actual weddings, since. Since the wedding season had just ended, um, we kind of are waiting like just a little bit before we hire all those people only because we're in the off season right now. And we're intentionally not booking anything right now because we need to finish all the bathrooms and everything. So we can't have a wedding with the bathrooms tore up. And so, um, everything will ramp up again in March and we're just trying to get through all of this.
0: Talk to me about the seasonality a little bit. Are you, you know, you're just kind of figuring everything out, I know, but You know, you you already seem, you know, you're saying great seasonality is, you know, January we're in the off season right now, February sounds like, and then March things pick back up. Is there a second season there in Texas?
1: Yeah, so what I've noticed is as long as you have an indoor location, you can have weddings all year long, and people don't care as long as the price is cheap enough. Like people are willing to get married in January as long as you know they're paying a lot less. And so uh, we do have the ballroom, and we are able. We I, I like to not go over 170 people, but we can easily flip it or have the ceremony in there if there's if it's raining or if it's too hot. So we do have that option, and we definitely plan on doing year round weddings. And we're going to definitely push that, push that hard once we get through all this construction.
0: <clears throat> Leah, I want to, I want to ask you, I realize I kind of breezed over it in, in terms of what you do on a daily basis, you mentioned construction, right? And so I assume you're not, you know, swinging a hammer. You're probably more in a managerial role. Is that correct?
1: Yes, definitely managerial. Um, I also am doing a lot of back end. Stuff When it comes to like the networking, I go to all the businesses introducing us to all these people. Half the people don't even know that this venue exists. I do a lot of online networking as well. So I'm on all the Instagrams. I'm like messaging photographers. I'm commenting on their stuff, which I've really discovered, especially in this wedding industry um that goes so far. like I feel like I have gotten to know so many of these vendors that have never been to this property ever just from Instagram just from them posting and then me like seeing their kids and commenting on their kids and then them seeing commenting on ours it's I've been able to build a relationship. so that's that's the stage that I'm in right now is just getting gaining awareness of our property and um introducing us to people I've I'm really big on like marketing material. I know some people think that that stuff's dead, but I love mailing stuff. I'm like a big like note person. So I've got like these really pretty Tuscan Oaks and like note cards and like marketing stuff. And I put together packets and I write people notes and like, we're so excited to be your neighbors and I send it off to people. And so I'm primarily doing that right now just because I need to know people, I need people to know like who we are and um, I need to kind of get people to start referring their friends. And a lot of people do get married. Like if, if you live in Weatherford, a lot of people look for wedding venues in Weatherford, like they're not trying to go all the way out to Fort Worth or to Dallas All their friends and family live here. They don't want people to have to travel. And so there's a lot of people that get married here that live right down the street, which I feel like wasn't the same in Temecula. Temecula was primarily people that came from from out of town. I know I grew up in Temecula, and that was the last thing I wanted to do was get married in Temecula. So I was like, I went down to Coronado, but it's different here. So we're definitely trying to capitalize on that.
0: Yeah, I know our, our property there, we're getting folks from Long Beach, we're getting folks from LA, Orange County, and people are coming over. And you're totally right. There's a, a sense of like, <clears throat> once you get old enough to kind of start making your own decisions, you're trying to get out of Temecula.
1: 100%, yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs>
0: that's, and that's very interesting. I think that my exposure so far to the Houston market and a little bit to the DFW area is people will like go back home to get married almost. Like they'll go out to wherever they're going to go to college TCU or whatever and then they're gonna come back and th- so that makes so much sense Yeah.
1: yeah.
0: <clears throat> okay, so When you're looking at hiring contractors when you're looking at hiring vendors when you're looking at hiring and kind of developing some of these Relationships and you mentioned contractors. How do you go about vetting them? So that you know these people that are knocking down or putting up walls are, are doing a good job Maybe if especially if you don't have the expertise in that area.
1: So you're talking about construction or are you talking about people working with the weddings? <laughs> uh,
0: well, I, I think spe- I think specifically construction because you're in this kind of construction phase. So you have to make decisions on hiring contractors. And I mean, I, I assume, you know, it's, it's not just, hey, you know, here's 10 bucks an hour. The whole job's going to be 1,200 bucks. I mean, you're making some sizable changes, it sounds like.
1: Yes, yes. So I I just ask around. So it's actually very difficult to find people right now um, here in Texas because there's it's there's such a huge housing boom that all the contractors are tied up. And the great thing is, is that we actually had a gardener that mowed our lawn like during the summertime. But then obviously everything dies and then they do all the Christmas lights during like Christmas season. And then there's like this downtime for all of the people that do landscaping. And the guy that we had was so great. We love him so much. And, and it's funny because everyone like knows a guy, right? And so we're like Ephraim, can you do this for us? And he's like, I can't, but I know a guy. And so half of the stuff Ephraim does for us. So he just built our entire fence, our entire fence. We put up 600 feet of fence and he did it all himself. And I, I'm i like embarrassed to say how much we paid because it was so cheap. And we are like, oh my gosh, this is amazing. And Ephraim has a guy that also is building a wall for us. And then he also had a guy that's a plumber. And and so like we just found one guy that's amazing. And between all of his guys, somebody knew somebody, and they've literally transformed our entire property just off of knowing one guy.
0: I I love your story so much because it is <laughs> such an amazing example of you kind of going and really just like blooming where you're planted, but you're not just planting anywhere, like you're very intentional, but you're using everything in your resources. You're using the community, right? You're using, you know, someone who's in the off season of doing something else who, who you can kind of be creative and strategic with. And I think, you know, of the venue owners that I talk to, those ones that are able to be creative and strategic and find kind of the loopholes and the ways to, you know, mold and shape their business the way that they want it or the way their vision is for it, are the ones that are really successful. And so that's so, that's so cool to hear. I, I love this. Thank you. I, I wanna wrap up by asking what you're planning on doing as far as uh, your alcohol, your packages, your kind of some of the details of the type of venue that you see yourself running and kind of where you're headed there. Is it gonna be all inclusive? Are you gonna have in-house bar? Talk me through some of those things.
1: We definitely plan on going in the direction of all inclusive. Um, I'm a big proponent though, of like mastering things before you move on. And so it's probably gonna take a couple of years of me really feeling like we have gotten a handle on just running the venue. And I don't know if I mentioned on here before, but we also VRBO the house, and then also people that have their weddings here, I would say 75% of them rent it for the weekend and make it an entire weekend experience. So they're having their rehearsal dinner here. They're having a day after brunch um they're doing that whole entire experience and so um yeah and so we 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 have all of those elements as well and so i'm i'm really trying to master all of that because there's a lot that goes into VRBOing in the off season and just all that. Once we master that, which I'm guessing is probably gonna be in about a year, I need to get through an entire wedding season and then we can maybe add one more thing. So we'll probably start applying for our liquor license. We might add the bar at that point and then maybe a year later add catering and then just slowly add things in just so that we just have to make sure that it's all done very well and that the client, it doesn't, you know, they don't have a bad experience.
0: Absolutely. Walk me through your rationale of doing more all-inclusive style versus blank canvas.
1: Um, Just from my experience of being a photographer, the venues that had all inclusive and had the same vendors that came every single time and knew the venue. Those weddings were seamless. Um, it was just a very, a very comforting feeling being the vendor at that wedding, because I just knew every wedding that I show up to was going to be like clockwork. Same coordinator was there, same, just same everybody, and it was just, it was a very comforting feeling. Um, the the venues where everybody just got to bring whoever they wanted in, you just never knew. It was like this, like, well, let's hope that that everything goes well today. And there's also something to be said about when the vendors know each other. It just kind of brings this like synergy of of like it's almost like everyone's just hanging out and everyone's having fun and it just it it just um is a great experience for the couples as well because they feel that when the videographers and the photographers and the florist, everybody knows each other. And it's just like everyone's hanging out and having fun. And so I I really want that for this venue. Um, I do like for our couples to be able to have the option, but I think that couples just don't know what they don't know. And it is a, a huge benefit to have vendors that know the venue inside and out and can ensure that your experience is gonna be perfect.
0: That makes, that makes so much sense. That makes so much sense. Um, well, I want to wrap up here today. I actually would love to have you back on the podcast just to kind of talk a little bit more through operations. And I think it'd be interesting to talk to you a year from now, right? And kind of like get the full circle picture of how things have evolved and, you know, the things you've accomplished. And And uh, I'm, I'm so excited for you, Leah. I mean, you're on such an incredible trajectory. The, the venue is gorgeous. You know, anyone who's looking, uh, watching on YouTube or, or on the podcast, we're going to put links. So please go check out uh, Tuscan Oaks Estate. I want to wrap up with a question that I try to ask everybody so far, and I know you're only a couple months into this process, but what is your favorite and least favorite thing? I want to end on a high note though. So let's start with your least favorite thing.
1: (laughs) So my least favorite is trying to keep plants alive in Texas weather. We've, we bought like $500 worth of the most beautiful agave plants. They all died in the freeze, all of them. So I'm like, okay, this is Texas, is not California, and things do not survive this crazy weather. So that's like my least favorite is, is trying to figure out what lives, what doesn't live. And the fact that all the grass dies in the wintertime, it's like, really? Yeah. Why? why can't it stay alive all year long, like California? <laughs>
0: no, I, I, the getting used to the brown grass, it was a huge shift when we moved. I was like 17 or so moved to California It's like, everything's pretty green. Like even the brown stuff was kind of green, but a dead lawn in Texas. I mean, that's a very specific, you know, the whole thing is dead. It's all there. It's, it might be manicured, but it's just brown <laughs>
1: Completely brown. Yes, yes, yes.
0: And then what about yeah. your favorite thing so far?
1: Oh my goodness. My favorite thing is just, I would say the other vendors and the relationships, like with the clients, it's like a, it's like a club, you know, I, that's what I love about getting to know other vendors is you're all in it together and you can like kind of bounce ideas off each other. And it just makes, uh, makes just business ownership fun. So.
0: I, I love that. The relationships in this industry, I think are are huge. And I think this just being such an emotional and relationally built and influenced industry, you know, we have the benefit of, of those connections in a way that, um, is not as transactional, I think as, as other industries.
1: Hundred percent, Yeah.
0: Cool. Leah, thank you so much for, for coming uh, on the podcast today, sharing your story, the, the process that you're in right now. And if anyone wants to connect with you, either personally, you know, the, the, um, venue itself, where should people go?
1: So we're um, if you want to email, it's info at Tuscan Oaks Estate. Our website is also Tuscan Oaks Estate. And then I'm on Instagram a lot. So, you know, you can message me there.
0: Is that your name just like at Leah Fattis or oh, is it?
1: No, it would be at Tuscan Oaks Estate. Everything's okay. Tuscan Oaks Estate across the I love board. it.
0: I love it. Synergy <laughs> across the branding. You must know you you know a little bit about that, it sounds like. Yeah. Well, thank cool.
1: you, Jonathan. I appreciate you having me on.
0: Thank you so much for coming on. Hey there. Thanks so much for listening. If you are a returned listener, could you do me a huge favor and consider rating and reviewing the show? We don't run ads. We're not really looking to do that, but we do want to grow the show. And so my ask to you is you take a moment or two and rate the show wherever you're listening to it, whether that is Apple music, Spotify, uh, even if you're on, you know, YouTube, I'd love to, I'd love to hear from you. Please shoot me a DM though on Instagram so that I can thank you personally. And I'd love to shout you out as well. I appreciate you more than you can imagine. All right, back to the show.